your Bibles to Psalm 112. Psalm 112. And the message tonight is, Blessed are the righteous. Blessed are the righteous. And this, this psalm really goes hand in hand with our, with our message this morning. And I love how God piggybacks on a topic because, you know, this morning we saw that um, not to worry was repeated three times. And when the Bible repeats something, it's first of all, because it's an important thing we need to know. And secondly, because we're slow in grasping it sometimes and we need to hear it two or three times. Well, we're hearing it again, in a sense, this this evening with this particular psalm. And again, Jesus said to seek kingdom, the kingdom of God first and his righteousness. And here it talks about blessed are the righteous. This psalm is a wisdom psalm. And it's very similar to Psalm 111. Together, the two make a matched pair of acrostic psalms. The structure of the psalm goes like this. First of all, a determination to praise God in verse 1. Second, the praise of God based on his works with his people in verses 2 through 9. And then third, the defeat of the wicked in verse 10. The theme of this psalm is the advantage of having faith in God. God guards the minds and the actions of those who follow his commands. The author, anonymous. We don't know who wrote this particular psalm. This psalm describes the personality or the character of the person who fears the Lord and truly obeys his word. When you do, when you obey the Lord and you truly fear the Lord, the psalm makes the point that that person who truly loves and worships God will be like him. Anyone will be like the God that he or she worships. The psalm is a promise of blessing. It's a promise of blessing to a person, though, who lives in a certain way. A lot of people want blessings. They want God's best. But there's conditions to be met. You know, we have to meet those conditions. We have to live in a certain way if God is going to bless us. Again, it's like being a parent. If you have children, you don't bless them. You don't reward them for being disobedient. They must live a certain way. The specific blessings of the godly man or woman are described in the main part of this psalm, which is verses 2 through 9. Verse 1, though, and here's the key. In order to receive the blessings that we're going to look at in verses 2 through 9, verse 1 has to be applied by itself before we get the blessings. Verse 1 is the condition for receiving the blessings of verses 2 through 9. Because verse 1 defines who that godly man or godly woman is. Their godliness will consist of three things. First of all, they fear God. Look at verse 1 now of Psalm 112. The psalmist says, praise the Lord. Notice, blessed is the man, notice, who fears the Lord. Blessed is the man or the woman who fears the Lord and who delights greatly in his commandments or his word. So that first condition of godliness is he fears God. There's a deep reverence for God in their life. The person who is blessed, according to this psalm, takes God seriously. And without a doubt, he or she takes him, that is God, with total seriousness. He is the beginning and the end of everything. God is the one that we're all ultimately accountable to. And then the psalmist wrote about the fear of bad news in verse 7. 
He wrote about the fear of the enemy in verse 8, which we'll look at as we go along in our psalm. But the first and most important fear is the fear of God, which is sorely lacking in our world today. And, and unfortunately, even many times in the church. This verse, verse 1, takes us back to chapter of Psalm 111, verse 10. Because if we fear God, we don't need to fear anything else or anyone else. Ecclesiastes 12, 13, Solomon came to the same conclusion when he, when he said, Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Now, of itself, fear is not an evil thing. We teach our children to fear danger when they cross the street. We, we teach them to fear sharp objects. One of the things we taught them, don't run with scissors in your hand. You know, you're going to get hurt. Uh, we teach them that, that, that to fear being approached by strangers. But those are rational fears that strengthen us and protect us. The psalmist is writing about fears that can paralyze us. Fears that can make our life miserable. Now, to overcome these fears, we have to develop a right relationship with God. We fear Him. We learn His will from His Word, and we obey what He commands. The second condition is, is that person that's going to receive the blessings of God in verses 2 through 9, obey God. Notice again in verse 1, the second part, it says, who diligently, I'm sorry, who delights greatly in His commandments or His Word. The godly person doesn't just do what God says, though obedience is necessary, but he or she also delights they delight in God's commands and clearly uh, also in obeying them. We need to measure ourselves by this searching definition of the godly person. Do they fear the Lord? Do they obey his commandments? Do they delight in his word? We all want and should want to be blessed by God, desiring to be in his good graces and to be prospered by him. God wants to bless us as well. He enjoys blessing his people, but there are certain conditions that we have to live up to in order to get the blessing. We must fear him or reverence him, obey him, and delight in his word. When we put these thoughts together with Psalm 111, we understand that we'll, that we'll do these things if we truly and deeply appreciate the greatness of God in his works and what he does to us personally. Again, verses 2 through 9 describe the specific blessings of the person who fears and fully and joyfully obeys God. Again, don't despise his word. They're a mirror. The word of God is a mirror. And, it will, and the word of God will let you see who you really are. That's what his commandments will do. Don't despise the commandments of God. But if you're honest... You know that you can't be saved by keeping the word of God. They show you, the word of God is to show you that you need a savior if you're going to be blessed. Now, many blessings are available to us. Honor, prosperity, security, freedom from fear. And, and all those things in verses 2 through 9. Again, as verse 1 says, if we fear the Lord and delight greatly in his commandments. If you expect God's blessings, you must revere him. You must fear him and gladly obey him. And you know what? Jesus, when you read the Gospels, Jesus placed doing, he, he put a premium on doing above teaching or anything else. In Matthew 5, 19 through 20, Jesus said, Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so, 
shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does, notice, whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Matthew seven twenty one. Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Luke six forty six. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? Luke eleven twenty eight. Jesus said, more than that, blessed are those who hear the word of God. Notice, and keep it. It's not hearing. Hearing's not enough. It's hearing it, but keeping it. That is obeying it. John 13, 17, if you know these things, notice, blessed are you if you do them. The blessing does not come in the hearing. The blessing does not come in the knowing. It comes in the doing. So it is very obvious that Jesus puts a premium on doing. James tells us in chapter 1, verse 25, he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, which is a picture of the word of God, and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed, notice, how? In what he does. He's blessed in what he does, not what he knows, not what he hears, but in what he does. You see, this is the whole purpose for owning a mirror. To be able to see yourself in that mirror and make yourself look as clean and neat as possible. And when you look into the mirror of God's word, we see ourselves as we really are. It really tells us who we really are. James mentions several mistakes that people make as they look into God's mirror, into the word of God. First, they merely glance at themselves. They don't take a long, hard look because you know what? A lot of times we don't like what we see. We don't like who's looking back at us. They don't carefully study themselves as they read the Word of God, and they fail to profit from the Word of God personally. The second mistake is that they forget what they see. James says if we're looking deeply into, or if they were looking deeply into their hearts, what they would see would be unforgettable. The third mistake that they fail to do is obey what the Word of God tells them to do. They think that hearing is the same as doing. It's not. We just saw that. We Christians enjoy many times substituting reading for doing, even talking for doing. So after we see ourselves, we need to remember what we are, what we see and what God says. And we must do the word of God and then we will be blessed. You see, the scripture equates your blessings, that is your happiness with the depth of your relationship with God. It's not hard to take pleasure in his commandments when you love him. 1 John 5, 3 says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. One of the tests of of a maturing love is our personal attitude towards the Bible. Because in the Bible is where we find God's will for our lives. It's shown to us there. An unsaved man thinks about the Bible as an impossible book. And that's mostly because he doesn't understand what it says. And, and I, I attest to that 100%. When I went in the military, one of the things that they gave us was a Bible. And I was 21 years old, 20 years. And, and, I, and I thought to myself one day, you know, one day I'd like to read the Bible. You know, I've heard a lot about it and this and that. And I said, I'd like to read it. And so I thought, well, I got plenty of time now. And they gave me the Bible. I read the first chapter. And before I got to the end, I closed it up. And I said, this is ridiculous. It makes no sense. You see, because it's a spiritual book and I was not a spiritual person. It was just so 
I, I go, who in the world wrote this? Why did they read it? it? Again, it made no sense to me. Again, it was an impossible book. And again, it's because I didn't understand the spiritual message. Paul said that, you know, only the spiritual can discern what is in the word of God. I didn't understand the spiritual message. An immature Christian looks at the demands of the Bible to be a pain, to be troublesome, to be a burden. You know, they're kind of like a child who's learning to obey. You know, when your little one is growing up and and they're learning to obey, what is their favorite question? Why? Why why can't I do that? Why can't I touch that? Why can't I play with that? Why do I have to do it that way? Wouldn't it be better to do it like this? But a Christian who experiences God's perfecting love finds themselves enjoying the Word of God, really loving it. They don't read the Bible like a workbook. They read it like a love letter, something that they love. The longest chapter in the Bible, and we'll be getting, it, uh, getting into it not too far from now, is Psalm 119. The theme of Psalm 119 is the Word of God. Every verse but two mentions the Word of God in one way or another as law, precepts, commandments. But the interesting thing about it is the psalmist loves the Word of God. And he enjoys telling other people about it. Psalm 119, 97, the psalmist says, Oh, how I love your law. Psalm 119, 14 and 162, he says he rejoices in the law. Psalm 119, 16 says he delights in the law. In, in, in Psalm 119, 103, he says it's honey to his taste. In fact, the psalmist turns God's law into a song. In Psalm 119, 54, he says, Your statutes have been my songs in the house of my pilgrimage. Think about it. Think about, you know, going down to, I don't know if they have them in the city library, and looking at the penal code for the town and all the laws that that are in the town, and then making a song out of all of the laws, and it being a source of joy. Because, you know, you think of laws and they don't, they don't appeal to us as being joyful. But this is the way the psalmist looked at God's word. Because he loved the Lord and because he loved his law. They were songs to him, songs of joy. God's commandments were not grievous to the psalmist. They weren't burdensome to him. Just like a loving son or daughter happily obeys his father's command, so does a Christian with perfecting love joyfully obeys God's commands. Now, Jesus never promised that obeying them, obeying him, would be easy. But the hard work and the self-discipline of serving Jesus Christ is no burden either to those who truly love him. And then, if our load starts to get heavy, we can always trust him to help us carry it. Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30, Come to me, all you who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am lowly and gentle at heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The rest that Jesus promises us is love, healing, and peace with God. Not the end of all work. A relationship with God changes meaninglessness. It changes tiring drudgery. 
and it, and it turns it into spiritual fruitfulness and a purpose. It brings blessings. Secondly, he says in verse 2, Now, we saw the first three conditions for receiving these blessings now in verses 2 through 9. The first one is don't fear for your family. Look at verse 2. His descendants, notice, his descendants will be mighty on earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. So one of the blessings of that God-fearing man or woman, don't fear for your family. It says that God loves your family way more than you do. You see, families make homes, families establish homes. But if God isn't in the home, all of our work is going to be useless. Psalm 127.1 says, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Because you see, a family without God can never experience the spiritual connection that God will bring into the relationships. Don't make the mistake of leaving God out of your life. Because if you do, all of your accomplishments, they'll be useless. Make God your highest priority and let him do the building for you. Because it is vain. It is futile. It is a vain thing to attempt things, to do things without God. Builders work on a house, but in vain, unless the Lord builds it. Watchmen guard in vain, unless the Lord watches the house. Psalm 127, 2. And then being anxious over one's labor for food and working long hours is in vain as well, if the Lord isn't watching. The point is that work done without God will be fruitless. But a person who trusts in the Lord, they will find rest. Without the Lord, all domestic work, all of our family work is in vain. The third blessing, don't fear for your finances. Look at verse 3. Wealth and riches will be in his house and his righteousness endures forever. Don't fear for your finances. One of the lies that Satan has made so believable is that you is that if you have enough money, all of your troubles will be over or there'll be less. And this is what will make you happy. One of the sad things that you see today is both husband and wife working to have the so-called American dream. The nice cars, the houses, the boats, all of the toys, but they're empty. Listen to the prophet Haggai in chapter 1, verse 4 through 6. It is time for you yourselves to dwell in your panel. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in paneled houses and this temple lie in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but you do not have enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he earns weight and he who earns wages knows earns wages to put it into bag with holes. Work, work, work. Weekends, overtime. But you still can't get ahead. It seems like everything that I do doesn't doesn't help. Because the people hadn't given to God first in their lives. Their work wasn't fruitful. And their material possessions didn't, didn't satisfy them. You see, they were too preoccupied con- concentrating on building and beautifying their own lives, their own homes. So God's blessings was, was held back because they no longer put God first. They were robbing God. Did you know that you can rob God? Listen to Malachi 3, 8 through 10. 
The scripture says, how can you rob God? You might say, will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me, God says. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring in all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. He's noticed, notice the challenge. He says, and try me in this. Try me in this, says the Lord of hosts, and see if I will not open for you the windows of heaven, pour out for you such blessing that there will not be enough room to receive it. God challenges us to trust him. The people here in Malachi's day, they ignored God's command to give a tithe of their income to his temple. Maybe it was because they were afraid of losing what they had worked so hard to get. But if that's what they thought about their God, they misjudged God. Jesus said in Luke 6, 38, give and it will be given to you. And when we give, whatever it is, we have to remember that the blessings that God promises aren't always material things. And they may not be totally experienced here on earth. But you know what? We will receive them in eternity with him. Listen to what Moses said would happen if they neglected God in Deuteronomy 28, 38 through 45. He said, you shall carry much seed out to the field, but gather little in because the locusts shall consume it. You shall plant vineyards and tend them, but you shall neither drink of the wine nor gather the grapes because the worm shall eat them. You shall have olive trees throughout all your territory, but you shall not anoint yourself with the oil because your olives have dropped, shall drop off. You shall begot, beget sons and daughters, but they shall not be yours because they shall go into captivity. Locusts shall consume all of your trees and the produce of your land. The alien who is among you, that is the foreigners living among you, shall rise higher and higher above you, and you shall come down lower and lower. He, the foreigner, shall lend to you, but you shall not lend to him. He shall be the head and you shall be the tail. Moreover, all of these curses shall come upon you and pursue and overtake you until you are destroyed because... Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes, which he commanded you. Isaiah 55, 1 and 2, it says, Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? God said, listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. You see, happiness can't be had by chasing after it. By making it your goal. True happiness is a byproduct of your relationship with God. Your happiness is caused, or I should say your unhappiness is caused by looking in all of the wrong places. And in things that can never satisfy. No person, no place, or thing can ever make you happy. The fourth blessing that we see in verse 4 now is don't fear the dark times in your life. Look at verse 4. Unto the, right, uh, unto the upright, notice, there arises light in the darkness. He is gracious and full of compassion and righteous. Why not? Okay, why don't we fear the darkness? Because Psalm 42 says there arises a light. in the, Well, here in verse 4, it says uh, there arises a light in the darkness. Uh, here in verse 4, and then in Psalm 42, 8, it says in the night, his song shall be with me. We don't fear dark times because God is gracious, He's compassionate, and He's righteous. And you know what? Never forget in those dark times what God has promised you in the daytime. 
You know, we tend to forget in the night those things that God has taught us in the day because dark times seem so alone. They seem so evil. They seem at times when we're the most lost. When you hurt, ask God to give you songs in the night. I love Psalm 30, verse 5, because way back when I was first starting in my Christian walk, when things were the worst, this was the verse that changed my life. And we sang it tonight in one of the choruses. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And when I read that, everything changed. It didn't say when the joy was coming in the morning. It didn't say what morning, but it was a promise. There's weeping for a night, but joy is coming in the morning. God promised me that this dark time would not last forever. And always remember, no matter how dark the day might be, dawn will come. Think about it. Ever since the day the earth was created, the sun has never once missed rising in the morning. Now, sometimes you can't see it. You may look out your window and it may be cloudy and, oh, no, the sun didn't come out this morning. Yeah, it did. You just can't see it. It's just like God. He's always there. Sometimes you look for him and you can't see him, but he's there. You see, that was Paul and Silas's experience after being stripped down, beaten and put in stocks and put into prison. But even in spite of their horrible circumstances, they still praised God at midnight. Praying and singing at midnight as the other prisoners listened to him, to them, Paul and Silas. Now, we don't have to fear our circumstances either. It doesn't matter how dark the times might get. Others may come to Jesus because of our example through those dark circumstances in our life. The fifth blessing that we receive, again, who again met the conditions in verse one. He said, verse five, don't be afraid of making decisions. Look at verse five. A good man deals graciously and lends. Notice he, God, will guide his affairs with discretion. Generosity can cure two problems having money can create. The rich person may abuse others in their desire to accumulate wealth, but generosity will eliminate that abuse. Second, the fear of losing money can be a snare. While generosity shows that we put our trust in God and not our money. Psalm 48, 14 says that he, God, will be our guide even to death. Psalm 58, 11, the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought. So many times we pray and we ask for God's guidance when we struggle with life's decisions. What we need is a map, a map that gives us directions and a constant companion who knows the, the, knows the way very well. And, the, and we'll make sure that we read the map correctly. The Bible is that map. And the Holy Spirit is our constant companion and our guide. And as you make your way through this life, you use the map and you use the guide. The man or woman who's guided by the Lord, verse 5 says, notice, will never be shaken. Psalm 119, 165 says, Great peace have those who love your law and nothing causes them to stumble. Nothing. This says that your peace and your joy in the Lord does not depend on other people's attitudes or your circumstances. Then in verses 7 through 8, the next blessing that we receive is don't fear bad news. Look at verses 7 through 8. 
Notice, he will not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. His heart is established. He will not be afraid until he sees his desire upon his enemies. Now, we all want to live without fear, don't we? Now, we all hate bad news. And I was thinking that in my age now, when I get a phone call, I go, uh-oh, who, who, who's gone now? I got one just about a month ago. One of my close friends that I graduated with, he passed away. When I was younger and earlier, you get a phone call, say, hey, what you doing tonight? Where are you going? What are you going to do? And, you know, I was all excited. You could, you know, hey, it was, someone, it was something neat. But now, hey, you know, it's, it's a different story. You, you kind of don't want to get, you know, the phone calls anymore. But again, uh, we don't have to, you know, we hate, we all hate bad news. You know, our heroes, the people that we look up to are people who seem to fear nothing. Who take on all challenges and dangers and they overcome them. And when we trust God completely to take care of us, we will learn that all the other things that we fear, even the fear of death, it will decrease. We learned this morning that fear is a lack of faith. Remember, and I mentioned that this morning too, remember when the disciples were in the boat with Jesus and the storm kicked up and the disciples were freaking out? They went and they woke up Jesus and they told him, Master, Master, we're perishing. Jesus said to them, where's your faith? Fear and faith cannot live in the same heart. Because God, it says in 2 Timothy 1.7, has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. And it's the Holy Spirit who enables us to serve God without fear. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives us the power for witness and the power for service. And it's useless for us to try to serve God in our own power, that is, without the Holy Spirit. Now, talent and training and experience, those things are helpful. But those things cannot take the place of the power of the Holy Spirit. And now let's look at verses 9 and 10. The psalmist says, He has dispersed abroad. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn will be exalted with honor. The wicked will see it and be grieved. He will gnash his teeth and melt away. The desire of the wicked shall perish. Those who trust the Lord and give generously to people who are in need, it says their good deeds will never be forgotten and their influence, and they will have influence and honor. Don't fear your enemies because you see, they've already been defeated. Numbers twenty-one thirty-four says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Do not fear him, for I have delivered him into your hand. When you're surrounded by your, your enemies, read Psalm 41, verses 1 through 3. Listen to what it says. We have heard with our ears, O God, our fathers have told us the deeds that you did in their days, in days of old. You drove out the nations with your hand, but then you plant, but, but them you planted. You afflicted the peoples and cast them out. For they did not gain possession of the land by their sword, nor did their own arm save them. But it was your right hand, God, your arm and the light of your countenance because you favored them. When the psalmist was surrounded by his enemies, he remembered what God had done for his people. And the psalmist was strengthened by that and he was encouraged by it. And you know what? We can have the same confidence in God when we feel threatened or attacked. So in closing, who are you trusting in tonight? Yourself? 
or someone or something else? Are you trusting in your own wisdom, your money, your education, your friends, your family name, your spouse, your boyfriend, your girlfriend? Who? Who are you trusting in tonight? You see, only God is totally trustworthy. He will never forget you. He will never let you down. Listen to Isaiah 41.10. Fear not, God says, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. What a, what a wonderful promise. We don't fear because God is with us. He said, I'm with you. God has established a relationship with us. He says, I am your God. And third, God gives us assurance of his strength, his help, and victory over sin and death. And this is why the psalmist starts off with, praise the Lord. Because God is truly worthy of our praise, way more than the praise that we give him. Father, we thank you for this great psalm, Lord. Again, we thank you for the wonderful blessings that are in it, Lord. Father, for those who fear you, for those who delight in your word, God, and who obey your commandments, Father. The blessings belong to those who apply these conditions to their life, God. And Father, we pray tonight that, Lord, that your word has has touched people's hearts, God, and that your spirit, Father, has gone out And he's brought conviction upon the hearts of the people, Lord. And maybe you're here tonight and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. For whatever reason, we pray that, um, again, before the night is out, that will change. The worship team is going to lead us in a song of worship right now. And if you want to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior... As we worship, you get up out of your seat. You make your way down the aisle towards the steps up front. And I'll meet you there. And when the song is over, we'll pray together a simple prayer of faith.